You are listening to Sermon Audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you would turn to, there's actually four locations for you to turn to. They are in the bulletin, if you have a bulletin. If not, I'll give them to you real quick. If You may need to put a piece of paper or something there to mark them, but we're going to be looking at three of the gospel accounts of the Lord's Supper, specifically Jesus' words uh, as part of that. So Matthew 26, verses 27 and 28, um, Mark 14, 23 and 24, Luke 22, verse 20, and then in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. So again, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 20, and then Jeremiah 31. Before we get into our message today, I do want to let you know, uh, Alyssa and I spent a couple of hours Friday with Judy and with uh, the kids and their families, and uh, they wanted me to communicate to you how grateful they are for your prayers, for your thoughts, for the various expressions of love and and care and concern that you've shown for them. And um, I just encourage you to uh, keep that in the forefront of your minds as we have with previous situations like this as we will with future situations like this uh, to continue to lift the family up in that. But they did want me to express on their behalf their thanks. We've been going through Hebrews and we've seen beginning at the end of chapter 7 and then now through chapters 8, 9, and 10 this discussion of what's called the New Covenant to bring some uh, refreshing to your mind. Hebrews Hebrews 7.22 tells us that Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant, better meaning new in that place. Hebrews 8.6 states, As the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. So uh, again, a newer, better covenant. Uh, In Hebrews 9.15 from last week, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. And so we talked a little bit last week, and we're kind of continuing in that same frame of thought today as we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper, that these covenants were inaugurated, sealed, conditioned upon blood. From Hebrews 9, verses 19 and 20, I want to read to you from last week, a section that I encouraged you to read. It says, when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. Now, why, why am I extracting that today before we get into these gospel accounts? Because I want us to see, again, that what the Bible teaches us is the first Old Covenant was inaugurated and enacted by the blood of the sacrifice. But what Jesus then does is by his blood inaugurate, enact a new covenant that's powerful for us. And what we're going to be talking about today is it's powerful for us here now in this life. It's not just something that we anticipate a life to come or an eternity to come, but there is power available to us now by the sacrifice of Christ in this new covenant. So if you will, those three gospel accounts will begin at Matthew 26, verses 27 and 28. Matthew records, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. 
For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Likewise, Mark in chapter 14, verses 23 and 24 says this, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And then in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 20, And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. So as we saw that the Old Testament was inaugurated, or the Old Covenant was inaugurated and enacted and began by the sprinkling of blood, the application of blood, and that's what set it in motion, Jesus' very words here say that the New Covenant is set in motion, that which is promised in Jeremiah, which we'll look at in just a moment, is set in motion by His blood, which of course came by His death. His death brought the blood that brought the covenant. We saw last week in Hebrews 9, verse 18, the author says this, Therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood, meaning that God is is staying consistent. He's staying fair through all of this. He's not enacting one covenant in one way and then another covenant in a different fashion. He's staying consistent through this. And in verses 19 through 22 there in Hebrews 9, I encouraged you last week, and if you didn't, I encourage you again this week to read those verses in comparison with or in, in, in tandem with Exodus 24, where we see what Moses did in that application of the blood. But what Jesus' words in the Gospels therefore mean for us is this. When we come to the table of the Lord the table of the Lord's Supper. And and incidentally, I think this is part of our difficulty with all this. In in, in the tradition of the early church, the Lord's Supper was part of a meal in which everyone came to and participated of. In other words, it was a very active scene. In, In our tradition, the way we take it, and not just us, but many churches, we sort of take a very passive role in the Lord's Supper. We sit back and we wait for it to be brought to us. So we, we have to focus, we have to um, remind ourselves that spiritually, mentally, we need to prepare as if we are coming to the table of the Lord. And we are coming to the table of the Lord acknowledging Jesus' words that His blood is the blood of the new covenant. And that we're not only acknowledging a forgiveness of sin, but we're acknowledging a new way of life. Andrew Murray in his book, The Two Covenants, says this, Until we learn to form our expectation of a life in the new covenant, according to the inconceivable worth and power of the blood of God's Son, we never can even have an insight into the entirely supernatural and heavenly life that a child of God may live. I'll give you my version of Andrew Murray's words. So long as we only view Christ's death on the cross as just the forgiveness of sin, we will fail to understand the power of the new covenant purchased by His blood. Here, earthly, we will fail to understand the power of this new covenant. So what is this power? Look at Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. God says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Jesus' blood inaugurates, initiates, and enacts these promises of God. And so often we, we come to or we uh, come to the, the time or the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, take communion, and our focus is solely on the forgiveness of sins. And it's a powerful piece of the new covenant, to be sure. Without the forgiveness of sins, what I'm getting ready to talk about as part of the new covenant isn't even possible. Because without the forgiveness of sins, we cannot be in a relationship with God to understand His laws, to have this intimacy, this knowledge of Him. But the new covenant purchased by the blood of Christ is the whole of this new covenant. Not just a piece of it. Not just an eternal peace that awaits us. It is the whole of the covenant, the majority of it which is enacted now. And let's look at that today. Verse 33, I want you to look at that, that phrase. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. The first promise of the new covenant here is this, that God would take his law, his commands, his word, his, his goal for us, his, his idea of holy, righteous living, however you want to phrase it, that God would take that and he would write it within them. He put his law within us and write it on our hearts. The old covenant demonstrated or described the level of holiness and righteousness that God demanded, but it never empowered anybody with the ability to achieve it. It told us what he wanted. It told us what was important to him. It, it, it told us what was expected as people called by his name, but it never gave anybody, it never empowered anybody the ability to achieve it. Uh, when, when I read Andrew Murray's quote there a few minutes ago, he ended it this way, the entirely supernatural and heavenly life that a child of God may live, that we have to understand the power of the blood of this new covenant to have that. And quite honestly, upon hearing that word supernatural, some of you might have internally bristled a little bit. Oh, we don't want to talk about supernatural things. But understand... What occurs in the person's life by virtue of new birth is supernatural. It is not earthly. It is not anything that you or I or anybody else can muster up for ourselves. This is the way Paul writes about it in Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh, that is the natural, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, which is the supernatural, Set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To live in, to walk in this new covenant that was purchased by Christ's blood on this earth requires something supernatural, greater than what we know. And of course we know that what that is, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. And so how does it happen here? Two specific places that are mentioned here. Again, in verse 33, first he says, I will put my law within them. 
Within them is just merely a phrase that denotes the inner part of a, of a person, the place of their thoughts, their feelings, their conscience. In Jeremiah 4, verse 14, as God is speaking to how far his people have fallen, he says this in Jeremiah 4, 14, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? It's the same phrasing, within you. How long would your wicked thoughts lodge within you is the same phrasing where he says here, I will put my law within them. It's in that place. And where do our wicked thoughts reside or all of our thoughts reside? Those things exist and reside in our minds. So therefore, the promise here of the new covenant is that God will write his law within our minds. Paul picks up on this in Romans 12, verse 2, when he talks about the renewal of, of our minds. That there's a renewal of that piece of us by the power and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit that changes us. And God says, not only will I put it within them, but look there again at verse 33, and I will write it on their hearts. This is a stark and deliberate contrast to writing the law on stone tablets. This is a stark, deliberate contrast to God writing his law on on tablets of stone because exterior writing of the law does not change us. It, again, tells us what is required. It tells us what is expected. It tells us of who God wants us to be, but it doesn't change us. In the last several decades, we've seen, uh, you know, all sorts of of, uh, arguments and discussions and one side or the other about things like putting the Ten Commandments up in public places. And while I acknowledge on one side of the argument is a good argument that putting them up in public places maybe leads someone who has not seen them before or has not read them before, it gives them the opportunity to see them, and I do think that is a good argument. But the other side of that argument is that simply hanging it up on a wall of a public place does not change people. That does not change their hearts, their minds. Only what God is promising through the new covenant, that he would write it on their minds, write it in their hearts. In Jeremiah 17.1, again, as, as God's leading up to this understanding, he writes this about Judah. He says, the sin of Judah is engraved on the tablet of their heart. And that tells us what is, a, what is written on our heart will eventually spill out. What's written on the tablet of an unregenerate, unknowing heart, unknowing of God, will eventually spill out. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 15. The uh, Pharisees and the scribes, and they, they came to Matthew 15. It's also in Mark 7, and I'll be m- mentioning that in just a moment. But they came and they basically uh, put Jesus and, and called him to the, to the mat and his disciples because they weren't washing their hands properly when they ate. Not because of hygiene issues, but because of tradition issues, religious tradition issues. And this is what Jesus says at the end of that segment in Matthew 15, beginning verse 18. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person, or makes a person unclean before the Lord. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. See, the old covenant tried to control conduct, but the new covenant, writing his law within us on our minds and writing in our hearts, the new covenant changes character. One was to control conduct, the other was to do character. And this promise finds its fulfillment in faith and trust in Jesus. 
this promise that God would do this finds its fulfillment through the blood of Christ and faith and trust in Christ. And it's important to understand this. Sometimes when we look at this the, the new covenant promise, we see the words Israel and we see the words Judah and we, we might question, well, does that mean that God's just promising it for them? Well, what we know is that through the New Testament, Paul says things like, all who are Israel are not of Abraham. Meaning all who are, who are now called Israel are not Jewish by heritage, but all are now having the same faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, no longer does Jewish blood or Gentile blood make a difference. Only the blood of Jesus matters. And the blood of Jesus inaugurates this new covenant. So that's part of the promise. Look, continue with me then at the end of verse 33. He moves from the knowledge and the understanding of him and the changing from within to this relationship. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Peter picks up on this in his letter in the New Testament, 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy. Peter's letter was written predominantly to Gentile believers, not Jewish believers. And he says to them, the fulfillment of the new covenant through the blood of Christ has now made them God's people. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, I spoke about the fact that what this points to, this new covenant points to, is access. In Christ, we now have direct access to God. Through Jesus Christ, through his work, through his death, through his life, through his resurrection. And there's a unity with God, a relationship with God detailed through the new covenant. I will be their God and they will be my people. That relationship previously did not exist until Christ came and offered himself. Look at verse 34. Two things. Number one. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. I want to stop there for just a moment. Another piece of the new covenant for now. Again, remember, these are all pieces for now. That he would write his law within us and on our hearts, that we would have this relationship with him. He will be our God and, and we will be his people. This is a continuation of now that no longer would people have to teach one another, for they would all know God. Now clearly, this does not mean there's never any teaching to be done on earth. Because clearly the New Testament says that there will be pastors, there will be teachers, there will be leaders within the church who are responsible for handling the word of God. So the emphasis here is not that there will never be any teaching. The emphasis here, again, if you'll look with me, is in the knowing of the knowledge. Look again what he says, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. This is all connected back to the early promises of the new covenant where he would write his law within us on our minds and he would write them on the hearts of those who believe. Meaning that once we come to Jesus in faith and once the new birth has taken over and once we have been set on this new life, yes, there are teachers and preachers who help us. We'll get to that in a moment. But for any and all who want to know, for any and all who want this relationship with with God to go the way it's supposed to go here in the new covenant, from the leadest to the greatest, from the newest believer to the most mature believer, 
His words, His commands will be available to us. Jesus gives us an understanding of that in chapter 14, 15, and 16 of John. Let me read to you 14, 16, and 17, those verses. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. He dwells with you and will be within you. In verses 26 and 27 of John 15, when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then in chapter 16 of John verses 12 through 14. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus' promises was, were, that the Holy Spirit would come and take the promises of God of the new covenant and put us in a situation where we can learn and know his truth, by reliance on and guidance upon the Holy Spirit of God. You say, well, why do we need then preachers and teachers? Well, because we tend to mess that up. In Mark's rendition, in Mark 7, of that same place from, I just read from Matthew 15, when the religious scribes and the Pharisees are calling Jesus and the disciples on the carpet because they're not paying attention to the religious traditions, Jesus gives them this stern understanding of their failure. He says, you are making void the word of God by your tradition handed down. And sometimes this law that's written within us and this law that's written within our hearts and this relationship that we have with God through the power of the Holy Spirit and this ability to know Him, that gets all messed up because we void His word and His commands and His best for us by the traditions that we hand down. And so we need preachers, we need teachers, we need those who will lead to help us make sense of all of that. And then finally, as we begin to close, the second part of verse 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Again, I mentioned earlier, this is probably where we most um, normally come to when we come to the Lord's Supper. That we remember Christ's death and we remember it as being that which gives us a forgiveness of our sins. And I want to say to you, I am not shortcoming that at all today. That is a glorious and powerful piece of the new covenant that God promised. Because without forgiveness of sins, you can forget knowing God. Without forgiveness of sins, you can forget understanding His Word. Without forgiveness of sins, you can can disregard the Holy Spirit coming into my life or to your life. This has to happen. The New American Commentary says it this way. Before God can fill human hearts with His law, He must remove the sin that is written there. And before anything else in the new covenant can be enacted in your life and mine, our sin must be forgiven. And to be forgiven is one thing, but to have no record at all of what we've been forgiven for is something even more glorious. In a legal sense, in our culture today, it's it's worded this way. A person has their criminal record expunged. In a legal sense, when a person has their criminal record expunged, that directs the court to treat them as if the criminal conviction never occurred. Now, mind you, that does not change public perception. 
And if someone knows that, that someone was convicted of a, crime, of, a, of a crime, they did do something bad, and, and the court says they're not guilty and expunges it, it, it doesn't change the public perception of that person always looking at the other person saying, but yeah, I know what he or she did. But as far as the court's concerned, it's as if it never happened. You and I can't change public perception about ourselves. If we, if we took the time to line up witnesses, good and bad, in all of our lives, probably we'd have more bad than good. But because of Jesus, because of his blood, because of the new covenant, as far as God is concerned, it's the criminal conviction of our sin has never, ever happened. What does it mean to come to the table of the Lord's Supper? What does it mean to come and partake of this today? Well, think about it as a regular meal for a moment. To come to the table for a regular meal, the first thing that has to exist is hunger. You ever invite anybody over for supper or for a barbecue or something, and you've gone through all this work and you've prepared all this meal, and they walk in and they go, oh, you know what, I, I ate about an hour ago, I'm not really hungry. It doesn't make you feel very good, does it? And in the same sense, Jesus has done all the preparation for us to fully eat from his table. Not, not just symbolically, but to fully eat from his table of the new covenant. He's done all the work for us. He's made all the preparations. And we only receive the full benefit of it when we come to the table hungry. And if you and I have filled up on all sorts of other things, if we've partaken of and digested of all sorts of other things, then we don't come hungry for what this represents today, his blood shed for the new covenant. So what are you hungry for today? I, I want to give you some good news. If in your honesty today, you say, all I'm really hungry for is the forgiveness of sins. Well, God is good and faithful and merciful to do that for you. But I want to tell you, you're missing out. If all this represents to you is that your sins have been forgiven and that means that when you die, you don't go to hell, you go to heaven, then you're missing out. You're missing out on the knowledge of God. You're missing out on the relationship of God. You're missing out on Him having His law written within and upon us. You're missing out on the guidance of the Holy Spirit to lead us into His truth. You're sitting back going, well, the preachers and the teachers will tell me what to believe when what the new covenant says is God will lead you to that. If all this represents to you is just forgiveness of sin, there's good news. It'll be given to you. But you're missing out because the new covenant promise, promise is not only forgiveness of sin, but of knowledge and intimacy with God. And it's a promise not only of God's desire for us to change, but God's power for us to change. In just a moment as the team comes up, we prepared to lead you in this. I want to ask you two questions. One, where do you need the power of the new covenant today in your life? Now, again, remember, I said you got to come hungry. And coming hungry means you acknowledge that there's an area of your life, of my life, that's not filled. Where do you need this power of the new covenant in your life? And then secondly, once you recognize that, once you acknowledge that, the question then becomes, then will you take hold of it? 
it, it's, it's, it's here for you symbolically through this that we're about to consume, but it's here for you through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you're hungry for in life, wherever the new covenant is lacking in your life, wherever God's direction and guidance and knowledge is lacking in your life, wherever your relationship is lacking with Him in your life, wherever that is, Jesus has already done the preparation for you to eat fully of the new covenant promised by God that was fulfilled in Jesus by His blood, by His death, and available to all who place their faith and trust in Him. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pbcfrankfurt at gmail.com.